You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Half hour. Hello and welcome to Half Hour, a new podcast through Two Worlds Entertainment. I'm Richie Grasso, the artistic director. And I'm Jeff Malone, the executive director of Two Worlds Entertainment. And we are here to bring you a casual conversation on the shows, films, concerts, and music events that we see and observe throughout our careers. This conversation warning will feature spoilers, so uh, make sure you see or listen to the piece that we are discussing today before continuing on with listening to this episode. You have been warned. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Our first episode today is bringing us to a discussion on the boys in the band. Um, This is a really awesome play that we saw on Broadway together in 2018, and that was recently adapted into a Netflix film in 2020 with the same cast, which was really cool. Um, To give a little bit of a history on the piece, um, The Boys in the Band is a play by Mart Crowley. Um, It premiered off-Broadway in 1968 and then was actually made into a film in 1970. And then for the 50th anniversary was brought, as I said earlier, to Broadway in 2018 and then this Netflix adaption in 2020. Um, Ryan Murphy being one of the producers on the Broadway revival and then bringing it to a Netflix film. Joe Mantello directing the Broadway revival and um, also directing the Netflix film. And like I said earlier, the whole cast from the 2018 revival reprising their exact same roles in the 2020 Netflix film adaption. So what did you think, Jeff, of the overall, you know, well, seeing it on Broadway and then seeing it on Netflix? Well, what I thought was super interesting was like being able to watch these characters that and actors that performed on the stage and then actually seeing them in the film setting. So mm-hmm. I, I got different vibes from each actor. Um, 
and was able to kind of go in a little bit more depth with them in the film version than I was with them in the stage production. Um, and kind of leads me to, um, some of the actors that I thought had some standout performances. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought that Zachary Quinto, uh, was amazing. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. as Harold, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. he played this super, uh, won't use any bad language in here, but (laughs) (laughs) we'll use diva here, Uh uh um, as he walked into that party and, you know, we're in this film and in the stage production play, um, they're celebrating Harold's birthday, which is Zachary Quinto's um, uh, character. And the impact that I thought he had in the film when he arrived, you just felt the energy in the room change. Mm. So I don't know if I felt that energy when I was actually in the Broadway production, Mm. whereas I was watching it on the TV and I felt the energy Mm -hmm, change mm -hmm. and everyone was like, Oh my God, he's here or she's here. (laughs) (laughs) Right, And, um, I just, you know, that was really interesting. And I also found Matt Balmer's character to be, um, you were able to feel him a little differently Mm -hmm. because in the film, which you don't get these, um, scenes in the stage production, um, you, you you see what everyone is doing before they go to the party. Right. And you're kind of like, oh, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Why is Matt Bomer having a freak out in the car driving there? You know, so many of these guys, they just seemed lost. And his character, I felt, was lost. Mm. Um, and that's why he was having a panic attack driving to get to um, Michael's house, which is... Jim Parsons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, those were a couple of standout roles. And I also thought um, Emery's performance was, mm. you know, a big standout. You, you, you got who he was on the stage, but you really got who he was in the film. Um, and that was played by Robin De Jesus. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and one other thing, and I don't know if you felt this way too, but mm-hmm. like the scene that was set on the stage didn't feel like it was set in the late 60s. It mm-hmm. felt like it was like late 70s, almost verging on 80s mm-hmm. with a lot of the velvet and this. Like this, you really, you you kind of saw Jim Parsons' apartment and you were like, oh, okay, this could be late 60s. Show money, definitely gay. Um, you know, it, it, you just you you got a different vibe when you mm-hmm. saw it on the stage than when you did um, in the movie. I don't know if you felt that way, but yeah, it was definitely a different take. I think um, you know, see, I, to me, it's sometimes very difficult to compare live performance with a filmed performance because there's automatically. Of course, no matter what we're talking about, going to be differences yeah. in the energy of live. So it's like we're seeing these people do the, ex- you know, roughly the same play. You know, obviously it was adapted for film, maybe slightly differently with the screenplay, but we're seeing the live energy of the same exact characters on film. So we, you know, it's not we don't even have to sit here and say, oh, well, this person played that character differently because it's the same actors playing the same characters. So if anything, we're sitting here and we're saying, how did those same performances resonate in a film versus on live? And I think for me, there was something about 
the energy of the live was really great. But, you know, the, so what, what a film does is a film forces you to look at a specific moment at a specific time. Mm-hmm. And seeing something in a play, you can kind of be looking everywhere. So there's that chaotic moment, right, when he's punched. Um, and, they're, and they're like, oh, my gosh. And, and then that's when Harold shows up, right, for the birthday. And all these things are happening at once. Mm-hmm. And so they showed that so differently in the film because camera look here, camera look there, camera look here. Versus, like, when you're in a theater, right, you're looking at, I can look down at the couch and look up at the door. Someone's over here. Someone's grabbing ice. Someone's doing that. So that's different, right? It's like the directorial vision is, is different because now we're forced to look at a specific person. Also, in that telephones game at the end, yeah. who are we looking at? Are we looking at the person at the, on the phone or are we looking at the person behind him? And then some people aren't, we can't even see their facial reactions to a phone call because they're not even in that shot at that time. So right. that was maybe, I think what you're trying to say is a little bit more of an intimacy of Well, the, yeah, because you kind of get, you get to decide mm-hmm. who you want to look at mm-hmm. in in the stage production. Right. And, and in right. the movie, it's more like, no, I'm going to tell you who you need to yeah. look at. Mm-hmm. And, you know, director choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, ironically enough, the same director, right? So we're talking about Joe Mantello directs the uh, revival on Broadway and then this, and Joe Mantello directs the Netflix film adaption. Um, but that's what's always interesting about seeing a stage production and you get to be kind of the director in a way you get to direct your mind and your eyes of like mm-hmm. what you want to see but in the film you're really seeing this from joe mantella's point of view on who sure. is you know who is being the diva in the situation who is being um the villain who is being the nice guy you know you don't really get to make those observations in a mm. film. So, uh, you know, that was interesting. Yeah, and one thing I also wanted to go back to that you were saying, um, the scenery, I, I, you know, there's a famous saying that the scenery is a character in a play. Mm-hmm. And for me, I couldn't, it was almost like, you know, I remember reading a lot of the reviews from the Broadway revival and, and hearing um, different people's opinions on the set. And like, as you were saying, the set, it was, I mean, so in the 2018 Broadway production, David Zinn did the scenery and the costumes where we had different people doing the film scenery and costumes it was not, as the billing says on the IMDb, I do not see David Zinn's name on the 2020 Netflix film. So we definitely did have a different design team yeah. for sure. So what you're saying is, yes, I remember seeing it on Broadway and it was this velvety, modern late 70s maybe um which we know this play is not set in the 70s it's really set in the late 60s um and so i remember thinking oh and i also remember jim i remember thinking jim parsons character oh he must be like extremely wealthy to afford this beautiful sunken living room velvet glass metallic set of a house you know in in new york city in midtown or hell's kitchen or wherever they were setting that and i'm like okay wow and then I remember seeing this film production. I'm like, is he living in an apartment that hasn't been renovated since like the late 40s, early 50s? <laughs> because it seemed really lived in. It seemed really worn. And it was so beautiful, right? There was this terrace. There was this deck. There was a spiral staircase up to a loft. Like, gorgeous. But I, right. it was certainly an extremely different design approach. I didn't think that about the costumes, though. I thought the costumes were pretty similar, especially Harold's costuming. In both, and, and Jim Parsons' character in both, but the scenery to me was just a night and day, and what a different feel of the, this totally. person and these people and their friendships just from the set being that character that had literally changed so much in just the two years from the 
the Broadway production to the film. That's something. Yeah, that and even getting the whole like terrace vibe from the film production, you don't really get that in the mm-hmm. the stage. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if we're supposed to think that they're outside. Um, right, and then it rains. I, I can't come in. actually yeah. remember. Yeah, um, yeah. And but also like the stage production, it's another moment where you get to decide what you want to look at. And we'll mm-hmm. go more into depth with some of these scenes, but mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. in the film, you're taken out of the moment mm-hmm. when there's a huge fight going on. And then you decide if you're going to look at, you know, Emery cleaning himself in the bathroom or um, Larry and Hank making love in the mm-hmm, bedroom mm-hmm. while there's a whole scene going on mm-hmm. on stage. In the film, you don't really even see that now because mm. it's not until the end when they actually go to some of those scene moments um, that it's just what you have to look at. Mm-hmm. So that's important. And and yeah. when you talk about um, specific moments, you know, I, I think um, for me, I mean, we can kind of, you know, if you're listening right now, you already remember I said earlier that. Um, we're gonna give you a lot of spoilers here, so I'm gonna jump all <laughs> over the scenes because I, I, I think different things come to mind at different times when, we, when I give my like opinions and thoughts on a piece. But I think um, what I found really interesting was in the beginning, it looked like everybody had this sense of like the, the film showed that the majority of these characters had their life together. Mm-hmm. Who's shopping? Who's showing up here? Who's just having a cigarette on the sidewalk before the party? Who's show- And oh, hi, kiss, kiss, hug, hug. We're great. We're amazing. We're friends. Everything's great. So you look at it like this. Oh, wow. I'm going to see a play about this like awesome tight-knit group of friends, which I still think at the end is still a tight... You know, when you think about the way the show started and the way the show ended, I almost feel like at the end, it ended so odd where everybody kind of left and it was like, oh, but there was some part but of me that... they still were like, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow or I'll <laughs> call you tomorrow, right? Or like, when yeah. are we doing this next? Like, almost like have these arguments happened before or will they continue to happen and are they okay with that in their friendship because their friendship their friendships didn't change for me, although things came out. So it was like the way the party started and the way the party ended to me was so interesting. Also, it was interesting to me how in the beginning, you, you, you know, the you start to see cracks in the ice as more things happen. Mm-hmm. When certain characters show up and, oh, there's awkward tension between these two characters. Why? And now you're an audience member saying, why? Why? What is their past? And right. now the partner is like, what? And I'm just listing general moments, right? Like, oh, and who's this person? And then the college roommate who, you know, we see in the beginning, Jim Parsons' college roommate I'm talking about, that character, he's like, I have to come see you. We see a problem. We think right. that's going to be one of the main problems. And then that is not is a problem, but it's not the only problem. Yeah. You know, that we kind of see throughout. Well, touching on Alan, which is Jim Parsons. Yes, Alan. I, I, I like to use actor names a lot when I'm talking about it. Sometimes it's easier. Well, we could say that. We you know, say Alan was played by Brian Hutchinson, and uh, Michael is played by Jim Parsons. Right. And, you know, a big topic in this film is, like, why is Alan here? And mm-hmm. also, why doesn't Alan, like, ever leave? Never leaves. <laughs> I think that's so interesting, like, after that whole blow-up with the physical right. altercation. And what... And, well, actually, you could almost take another step back and say, why doesn't anybody leave? Right. Until Harold, 
was the last one to show up, and he's also one of the first ones to leave, and this yeah. is his party. And well, why, I think we can what, get a little bit more into that, but yeah, like, yeah. Let's, what I find interesting about Alan is like this, and what I love that you know Joe Mantel kept this in the film too, as he did in the stage production. Mm-hmm. We never ever really realize why Alan called Michael. Mm. Um, we never know what he says. Mm-hmm. And there's this underlining theme, like, is Alan gay? Has Gallen, has Alan had a gay past? Mm. And was Alan in love with... Uh, I forget the name of the other character, because he's not a real character in this um, film, but Michael's other... Um, Oh, his other roommate, or the friend from college. The friend from college. Right, right, right. So, but then uh, for me as the viewer, I'm saying, does Alan actually like Michael? Mm. Or is Michael in love with Alan and Michael pushing an agenda onto Alan? Mm. So that's like a topic for us all to discuss. So in the comments, let's have a conversation (laughs) about this. Yes, 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 Um, yes. We'll answer you. But... Who, you know, we don't know. And that's what's really nice about even in the film. Sometimes when you see a stage production, like, transfer to a film, they say, like, okay, let's just put the answer in or let's put what Mm. I feel. Mm. But he still left that up for interpretation of, like, oh, we don't know. We do know in the the stage production and the film that Alan does call his wife Mm -hmm. on the the phone game. Mm -hmm. And he apologizes and says he loves her. But it, we're still like, why did he call Michael and start bawling? You mm. know? Because, like, this whole, this whole story is about identity. Mm-hmm. And every single person is going through, like, an identity crisis in a way. Mm. And most of them are because they're gay and they don't know how to be in the real world right now. Because... Mm. Of the time period. Of the time period yeah. that you wasn't allowed. And you see that in so many different ways. You see that with straight couples looking at them and like, um, or straight acting gay men um, saying like, I'm not comfortable with effeminate men, you mm-hmm. know? And that's where the Emery character really comes into play because he's so comfortable with himself. Mm-hmm. But everyone has their own issues. So. Yeah, I think that's very, very, very interesting. I think it's identity for sure. And, and what the film allows you to do is like when they open the door and that straight so it looks like a married or straight couple, a man mm-hmm. and a wife are going out to dinner and they stop and they, they hear all the banter inside and then everyone has to immediately get quiet. And, and one the first thing I think is I'm like, if... I just can't imagine a lot of that really happening today. Like if there was a group of people having a party inside as long as it wasn't like extremely wild and crazy I wouldn't imagine someone walking by and everyone being nervous of hiding right, who they are like, what they're doing in a party and they're just having a birthday party inside mm-hmm. that's as, as as innocent as that was right so the, the, also speaking of filmic moments when they were about to make the phone calls to the person that they loved all the different characters and most of them we were jumping to the pool scene we were jumping to the prom we were jumping to these scenes and we were just and it was for me it was just enough I didn't need to see a whole, let's spend 20 minutes watching this major flashback with dialogue. Yet at the same time, it wasn't like quick and then, whoa, what? Like we got just enough about what those intimate moments could have been for them or what was going on that we could then feel these emotions for these characters sitting on the telephone in that moment. That's what I was. It was a really great 
director choice mm-hmm. to do that because a lot of people don't a lot of people get those feelings especially when you're seeing a stage production mm. like okay this actor is talking about this right now and i'm envisioning exactly what they're talking about this may be maybe a little more literal way that joe mantello chose to do this he was like all right i'm gonna give a little bite-sized morsel for someone to say wow I really want to know what happened Mm, mm -hmm. in that scene. And now you have to figure it out for yourself. Super cool. It was actually super perfect. Some of them were super hot. And <laughs> yeah. There was a few moments and I was like, oh, there's, there's some yeah, no, you know. no shirts on here. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. but, yeah, but, but it brings it back to the real, realism of it. Right. And, you know, I, I, I think we, we also have to remember from film and even from, you know, stage production, what has homosexuality looked like on the stage or in film? We've just started to see on primetime network television, gay couples just a peck, a kiss, a hug, basic things. So when you're seeing prime feature films getting more comfortable, we've seen romantic, intimate scenes with straight couples for 50, 60, 70 years in film. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden we're seeing the equal of that in homosexuality in film, in this case, male homosexuality. Um, and, and, and it just dipped and dabbed at it in enough way where this film was making it clear what was going on. Um, and that kind of goes into a little bit of what I wanted to talk about next, which was um, gay culture, gay culture in New York City, gay culture in America. And what we and what I, a lot of times is when you think of um, LGBTQ um, text and productions, a lot of times we think back to the brilliance of Angels in America, the brilliance of Larry Kramer, and, and some of those, those brilliant, brilliant um, pieces that also dealt with tragedy of the HIV AIDS crisis. So we always dealt with seeing text interpreted from the 80s onward and how difficult and sad and tragic that was for the LGBTQ community, mainly New York. But what I will say is... Um, this was written way before that. This was had an off-Broadway production and a film before the HIV-AIDS outbreak and crisis. And so never once in the film are we talking about that. We're yeah. talking about gay life before the 1980s or the late 70s or whenever we want to classify the HIV-AIDS crisis officially starting. This was really started talk in the 60s so we're talking about gay men starting to come comfortable themselves starting to come out but what do you hide behind closed doors what do you not what is comfortable in a workplace or a collegiate setting Mm -hmm. college is such a big thing in this play they talk so much about college and past you find yourself in college or what's a phase and what's not a phase and hiding 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 and and then jim parsons has this whole how long can you do things before you can't get away with it Mm -hmm. anymore we, Jim Parsons has this whole, there's this whole theme of um, uh, Roman Catholicism that he's dealing yeah. with and how he's dealing with his religious background as well. So I find that to be very interesting that this was a play and, uh, you know, I didn't know much about this play before that 2018 mm-hmm. um, Broadway production. Because a lot of the things that we've seen usually are in Normal the, Heart and Angels of America. I mean, great. And so and there's like so the many Even like the inheritance that we just saw. Right. Even though it's talking about just making sure that the stories stay relevant and Mm. we don't lose them because we don't want them to go anywhere. But like also I feel like we we are missing stuff pre the AIDS epidemic and Mm -hmm. 
there probably is so much more out there that we just don't even know about. So it was actually really refreshing to kind of see this revival and see this as a film. Because at the end of the day, I still think many of the youth and many people even our age go through things around identity and being gay Mm -hmm. and being able to watch like these guys in their, you know, late twenties, early thirties and some of the things that they were struggling with, you know, for us, it, it kind of turned a decade earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, and we started, you know, really going through things earlier and now like the generations are even going through it earlier. So will a piece like this even be relevant to some of them? Um, well, it's also historic and it's educational yeah. for for um, a younger generation, you know. And then and then it's like, what, where do we go from here, right? So so many, you know. I always say like so much of um, queer drama is centered around the man. So mm-hmm. it'd be really great to see like how this sparks interest in more playwrights to write more things about this, about bisexuality, about trans culture, about things like. Um, bisexual lesbian culture like other subcategories in the lgbtq but even like non-label like we don't need to label everything right in terms like of gender and sexuality but like well i'm just... saying that mainly because so many of these iconic plays we've seen have centered around gay men gay mm-hmm. men gay men so to see other things come out of this and learning what has come so far from some of these playwrights and what might come next is right. really interesting and there were some things that i found very progressive in the piece too because this was older, and when some of the actors started calling the other ones out for some of the racist terms that they were using mm-hmm. or the gender terms they were using, it, we didn't find that until the end. It took everyone to get really mad at each other and to argue with each other for them to truly be honest that what they thought was just joking um, was actually really hurting them. Mm. And why were they doing that? Mm. Which keeps coming back to this word identity. When people like don't know where they fit in a place, they, they tend to lash out. Mm. And really that centers around Michael, the Jim Parsons character, because he is so angry in a way at who he is. And Harold really calls him out on that at the end. He's like, you hate being gay. And you watch this arc where he's like so put together in the beginning and you think he is and you find so many things leading up to it. Like he puts everything on credit. He probably can't afford that apartment. Like, does he buy his friends? Do they even like him? Like there's so many things um, leading up to there. And the only person that can call him out on it is Harold. Mm. And I actually think there's an underlining relationship between Harold and Michael the whole time. Mm. It's like, I almost find Harold actually likes Michael. Mm. This Mm -hmm. is what I feel Mm -hmm. on it. But like, he can't like Michael because he knows that Michael hates himself. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that's why he does the things that he does. And he tells him like, I know the game you're playing and I can play it better than you. But Michael doesn't think he's playing a game. Mm. So I, that's just my take on yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of things that we may not even know about these characters, right, in terms right. of who does what with who and, and things like that. Um, I, and I just wanted to also really talk, before we get ready to wrap here, the, um, the end. Yeah. We, um, he's running. He leaves Mass, Michael, we're talking about, and he's running. And he starts as a walk, 
and it leads to a run. Obviously, that could mean, and then it just block out, right? So where is he running away from something? Is he running towards something? Did he get something out of mass or did he not and say, oh, I, I left mass for a reason or, you know what? And that's all up for our audience interpretation. Is he running back home? Is he running to the, the, the bar where... Um, where um, Alan's sitting at, you know, I mean, there's, who knows where, you know, so. It's really up to you. Mm -hmm. Or is he running from himself? Mm -hmm. Is he running from who he is? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that could be another conversation starter in the comments. When we start talking, what could the sequel be? (laughs) What is Michael running from? Like, we would love to know what everyone is thinking about that. Yeah, that'd be really great. because I feel like everyone's going to have a different opinion on Michael. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, some people might resonate with Michael. Mm-hmm. Some might, people might hate Michael. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some people might love Michael. It's just you're up yeah, for your own yeah. interpretation of it. Um, so I thought there was a lot of great things in the piece. But, um, yeah. I mean, overall, I'd say I really enjoyed both the uh, Broadway production as well as the uh, Netflix production. Um, I'm so proud of these producers and directors for bringing LGBTQ and queer stories to the front, the forefront, um, be it on Netflix, be it on, um, on the Broadway stage. I hope we see a lot more of these types of things, um, these pieces, I should say. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. I was really, really gripping and moving for me, so... So I hate to do this, but we're about three minutes till places. Oh, places. <laughs> oh, this was our, we had our half hour and now we're getting ready for places. So, so um, we thank you guys all for listening so much today. We hope you enjoyed. We hope you uh, continue to listen to our podcast in the future. Please make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Go to Two Worlds Entertainment on YouTube and you can check out all our latest podcasts and other awesome content that we have up there. Um, from some of the things that we've been working on. And please make sure you follow Two Worlds Entertainment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest. And we would also love for you to tell us some of the things you want to hear us talk about. Send, yeah. some, su- send some suggestions and uh, maybe you might hear it on yeah, the podcast is there a, in the Is future. there a specific play or film adaption or something that you want us to see? Let us know. We'll add it to our list of upcoming podcasts. But we're excited to do the next one. We'll see what that title of that piece title is. And uh, until then, I'm Richie. And I'm Jeff. And we're signing off. So till next time. Bye. Bye.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.